0: Something again. My name is Carl Voschkes, and you are in Dinner Church for the 21st Century. So, yes. Dinner, how, let me ask you a question. How many of you are familiar with the Dinner Church concept? So, you are, okay. So, um, for some of you, this might be something you've heard before. Uh, for others, brand new, but I hope to be able to connect with everybody. And, and what they're doing. So This is about Dinner Church, but before we talk about Dinner Church, we need to talk a little bit about why or where we are in our current sociology. Um, I don't think it's, it's... it's not unique. You don't have to be a sociologist to understand a little bit about where we are in our culture, what's going on around us. As an old prophet said, and his name was Bob Dylan. As an old prophet, Bob Dylan said, you don't have to be a weatherman to know which way the wind is blowing. Okay, We know that there is stuff going on in our culture, stuff going on around us. Things are changing, and we sometimes don't know quite what's happening, or how to deal with it. So, for example, what's going on in America today? Now, we're talking from uh, a religious and a sociological perspective, but mostly religious. 65% of America now holds a secular worldview. That means they're not thinking about the God of the Bible. They're not thinking about the, the... requirements of that God. They're not thinking about the morality that comes from that. They are making their own gods. They are making themselves gods. It's what I feel is what matters. I'm going to go my way. My truth is my truth and your truth is your truth. And there isn't a basis for truth. It's just what I decide what it is. And so they are not even thinking about church on Sunday morning. Doesn't cross their mind. They're going to sleep in, they're going to go to brunch or whatever it is, but they are not thinking about God whatsoever. We get into the religious world, 85% of our churches are stalled or declining. In other words, they're flat. The people they have coming, is just remaining the same, or it's going down. Most churches find themselves in that category of we're on that slope going down. 14% of churches that are growing are growing from transfer growth. In other words, they're coming from one church, and going to another church. Maybe it's because they've moved and that's okay. Maybe they've decided that one church isn't for them and another one will be. For example, somebody going to a large church may decide, well, I don't feel um, known here, so I'm going to go to a smaller church where I will feel known. Or the opposite, they're going to leave a small church because they are too known, and they're going to go to a big church where they could be invisible. Whatever the reason, of the 14% of churches that are growing, or 15% of churches that are growing, 14% are growing from transfer. Only 1% of churches that are growing are growing from conversions. 1%. So that other 95% of our churches, 96 or 99% are stalled or declining or are growing from transfer. In other words, only 1% Percent is people getting saved. We in the church, unfortunately, have forgotten how to talk to unsaved people. We don't do a good job of it. We will invite them in for big events and things like that and hope they'll stay. Most of the time they don't. We don't know how to, how to grow From conversions. We're not good at it. Continuing on with the church, 96 churches close every week. That's 4,992 churches that close yearly. And we're not replacing them at the rate that they're closing. We might, I, I think the statistic was something like we might replace a quarter or a third. So we're going downhill. The population of the United States is going up, and the number of churches is going down. More so, 50 pastors leave the ministry daily. Whether it's by retirements, uh, whatever, 18,250 pastors. Leave the ministry daily. And it's just gone up during COVID. Because the frustrations for pastors... Come on, pastors, help me out here. The frustrations for pastors during the past couple of years has been amazing. Between disease and politics and all the other stuff, pastors are saying, I didn't sign up for this. Others, we're going through a mass retirement of the baby boomers who are pastors now, they're, they're, I'm I'm getting old, I'm tired. Can't find it? Uh So, anyway, this is what what it looks like for our churches right now, sociologically in in our nation. The number of churches and, and pastors and whatnot are going down. Secular population of the United States is going up. The population of the United States is going up. number of churches down. We're we're having a problem. We truly are. We're... I'll I'll just show you here another one. These are the type of churches that we have and we're looking at in the United States. 33% of the population, those guys, is going to a traditional church. These are folks that will come to our Sunday mornings for whatever reason. Um, they like it. They have grown up in it. You'll see church kids who have gone away from Christ and when they come back, they will come back to a traditional church because they, they know it. They, they, they understand it. 35% of the population of the United States, will only respond to a contextual church. Now, by contextual, these are people, which is most of our population, they don't have, they don't have neighborhoods. Now remember, if you're as old as I am, we used to have neighborhoods, right? Where the porches faced the street, there were sidewalks, you could walk up and down your sidewalk, say hi to your neighbors, hey come on up have a nice tea, you know our kids played together and all those types of things and we weren't worried about letting the kids out to play you know without having a play date, or you know, you know what I'm talking about. We don't have that anymore. You know for new houses going up, there is no front porch. The front door is hardly even used. You leave your house in the morning, close the garage door behind you, go off to your work, come back home, open the garage door, drive your car in, close the garage door behind you, and that's it. If you do have a porch, or in our case a deck, it's in the back where nobody's gonna bother you and there's a fence around. So people do not find their community in their neighborhoods anymore. People find their community in networks or shared experiences. People that you get together with your your folks from work, or you belong to a yoga class, or you belong to a a dog walking club, or you know what I'm talking about? Things that you're involved with. People that you go out and do something specific with. Okay? Those are our communities. Those folks that are in those types of communities, talking about these guys, they need to see Jesus within the context of their communities and their networks. So, for example, if you have a a bunch of people who get together to ski, We need to bring Christ into that group. There's a class coming up, I don't know if you're signed up for it after this one, it's called Fresh Expressions. And this talks all about that, fresh expressions of the church in in new contexts. So in other words, if you have that skiing club over there in the contextual, you'll find a way to bring Christ into that skiing club. Or if it's yoga, or if it's I know of a church down in Florida, I'm getting ready to go to a conference this next week where I'm going to meet the pastor. They, love, they have a group, a context around their neighborhood who loves tattooing. They like ink. The pastor, he's just about got a full set of sleeves. And so they have a church that meets in a tattoo parlor. And they get together. The owner allows them to. They study the Bible together. They pray together. Some of them are getting inked while the study is going on. But they're bringing Christ into that context of people who would never come to that traditional church. The contextual and the dinner church will never, I'll say never, but hardly never, gonna show up in a traditional Sunday morning church. So you have that group that has to meet Christ in the contextual within their communities. This group down here has no communities. These are the lonely, the disenfranchised, the I call them the invisible people. They're the ones who we just drive past on our way from point A to point B and don't even see. They have no communities. They're they're the addicted. Like I said, the lonely. Uh, This is the single mom who is trying to raise two kids, kids and she's working two jobs and doesn't have time to be part of a community. Those marginalized people, they're the ones who you will see at your dinner churches because they need family they don't have family especially during covid what we've just gone through we're still going through loneliness isolation despair hopelessness the suicide rate right now is skyrocketing mental health services are need they're skyrocketing and they're not being fulfilled this the dinner church is a way of filling that need for those folks. Now, let me make it clear. Every one of these expressions of church are valid. Okay? But just because we're sitting in the class for dinner church doesn't mean that dinner church is superior to the others. The church needs to be in all facets of the nation's life to be effective. We need the traditional Sunday morning service. We need those fresh expressions within communities. We need the dinner church to reach those people that don't have community. So don't think that one or this one is more important than that one and all the way around. They're all validly equal. We need all of them. The problem that we're seeing is that churches and church plants that are rising up are all aiming at that population. They want their traditional Sunday morning service. And while they're doing that, these guys are being neglected quite honestly. And so that's the importance of these two. All equally valid. We need all of them. But this group is being underserved. Any questions so far? Anything? Anything you going, going to? Yes, go ahead. So, it, I mean, you have different types of churches. These are not like churches actually exist or is this uh, the percentages of reference to who it would attract? Right. Okay. There you go. Yeah. Yes. Anybody else? on Another hand. Okay. I want to talk a little bit, before we talk about dinner church, I want to talk a little bit about church history. Oh, isn't that fun, right? <laughs> but the, I, I, I guarantee you that this will be a little bit. There have been three types of church since the church began back in roughly 33 AD or thereabouts. There's been... the Dinner church is the way the church did church for the first 350 years of the church's existence. People met around tables. You read it in Acts chapter 2 that they went from house to house breaking bread, fellowshipping together. You... You see it in uh, Paul's work where goes into the Gentiles and they gather around a table to talk about Jesus. That's where you read about love feasts or some refer to them as agape feasts. This is what Paul was talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 where he admonishes them about abusing the dinner church about people coming in drunk, not taking care of the poor, or the hungry, etc. That's what Paul's talking about. For the first 350 years, that's the way the church did church. And they were highly, highly effective. When you think about it, after Christ ascended, 120 people who are waiting for the baptism in the Holy Spirit and from there, from being baptized, the, the birthday of the church in Acts chapter 2, until about 350 after Constantine assumed the uh, the uh, Caesar, uh, being the leader of the Roman, uh, Roman world, they brought millions of people to Christ just by having dinner around tables, talking about the stories of Jesus. Remember, they didn't have our Bible at that time. So what they talked about was the stories of Jesus. They would discuss them, they would pray together, they would eat together, they would disciple all around tables. So, Constantine becomes emperor. Now, Constantine wanted to make Christianity the religion of the empire, and he wanted to attract the wealthy and the elite who are used to going to these big basilicas where they worshiped other gods, but now he wants to bring them in to Christianity, but he doesn't want the people that the church at that time were attracting. Because they were attracting the poor, the disenfranchised, all the people Jesus told us to go to. So, uh, Constantine... then Oops, go back. Constantine starts building churches like this. And that evolved into the cathedrals that we see over in Europe so much. Or the big churches we see in America... Those are sacred space churches. You walk in, you, you see the candles, the stained glass, the choir, uh, the organ, things like that, and you're just in awe. You feel like you're in the presence of God. And not to say that you aren't, but that's the whole point. The sacred space where this is where you can meet God. Whereas this, dinner church, was meeting in people's homes. So, about 650, the then Pope, and I can't remember what his name was, the Pope of the Roman Catholic Church banned dinner churches. They're gone. So now we're in the Christendom era of Christianity. Okay? 1500 comes along, roughly. Martin Luther posts his 95 theses on the door at Wittenberg. The Reformation starts and we're now in the Reformation era of church. The idea of the Reformation was you didn't need to have a sacred space or a priest to oversee You and your family. Every man, every head of his household is the priest of his family. So the Reformation era churches are set up like classrooms because these were mini-seminaries. These were to teach the heads of the house to be the priests of their own home. We saw it this morning over in the main session. It's still set up the same. Everybody facing the teacher so they can go home and they can read the Bible for themselves and they can lead their homes without having to have a priest. Now we still have these, but predominantly we are in this type. We are in the end of the Reformation era of church. This started about 1500 and we're still doing in our traditional churches exactly what they were doing then. I think I remember reading something once about how young people that are coming back to um, church after their little time of sowing scenes or, you know, whatever. Wild, wild oats. What's that? Wild, wild oats. Yeah, sowing their wild oats. Okay. And they come back to church. That they're coming back to... A place where they can get the liturgy and the awesome, you know, the visage and all of that. They're doing that because that's a what they remember from their youth, but also b it kind of takes control of their worship for them. They don't have to work at it; they just are doing it. Yeah, and uh, that's not exactly the best way. To do it. Well, what uh, again? All the all the churches, the expressions are uh, are valid, but we're in the end of the Reformation era. Our, uh, this is, as you watch it, is, is beginning to come to an end. There's always going to be that need, but it's not going to be the predominant need. So, dinner church. I'm going to talk to you a little bit. Okay, we've talked about history. I want to talk a little bit about dinner church theology. Isn't that a great word? God meeting His people around tables is absolutely Biblical. We see it from the very beginning of the Bible all the way through to the end. For example, when God came to Abraham with the two angels, what did Abraham Abraham do? He met them with food. And they talked around food. Okay? The Passover... God comes to take care of His people while they're in Egypt, and what do they gather around? A table. When God gives the people the feasts while they're in the desert, gives them seven feasts that they have to enjoy every year, and they all revolved around food. In those feasts, it wasn't about taking... Um, I want to say, following the letter of the law perfectly. It was about, hey, here's a time when we can all meet in the presence of God. Let's eat. You go to the New Testament. You see Jesus. Jesus' ministry, when you look at it, was this He healed and taught during the day, and He ate with people at night. You see it all through the New Testament. Healing by, excuse me, healing and teaching by day, eating with sinners at night. He did it so much that he even got the reputation he eats with gluttons and sinners. Even called a glutton because he spends so much time eating with people. There's something about gathering around the table. And so you see Jesus initiate the church at what we call the Last Supper, you could call it the New Passover, where he initiates the covenant, just like the old Passover did, where Jesus said, come together, eat, remember me. When you do this, remember me. He tells them that when he's going to go, and he will not drink wine with them again, until he does it in the kingdom with them. Food. When after Jesus rose from the dead, how did he restore Peter? Cooked him breakfast. Food. In the New Testament, we see, as I mentioned, in Acts chapter 2, we see the people coming together, breaking bread together, fellowshipping together, praying together. That was their norm. Again, I talked about Paul with the Gentiles. They did it a little bit differently, but they still gathered around the table. The end of the book tells us that we're going to be in a great big feast. The marriage supper of the Lamb. So food was central, or is central, to God meeting His people. That's why we love fellowship so much. After church, the potlucks and, the, and, and stuff like that. Food has always been an integral part of the church. We've just, re, uh, traditionally, we've moved it over to the side. It's for the potluck afterwards or, or something like that. The way the church started, the way that God has worked, it's always been around food. So, I want to talk about what is a dinner church. I'll tell you our story, if you don't mind. Then we're going to talk about what dinner church actually is. My wife, Judy, and I uh, just got done pastoring a church in Wisconsin. We were there for ten and a half years. We've been back in Ohio now since September. I'm a a Youngstown boy, and my wife comes from Michigan. And don't give her a bad look. She's converted. Okay? (laughs) Well, we were pastoring this church in, uh, in uh, Little Town, 503 according to the sign outside of uh, town uh, they talk about towns that only have one stoplight we didn't have a stoplight um, but we were pastoring that church we felt God told us to, get, to go there one of those churches where if everybody shows up on Sunday morning you're going to have 45 people and so 2017 I was, fi- I was filling out my annual church report and that year we had grown by a person and a half average our finances were in good shape but when it came to answering the questions salvations baptisms baptisms in the Holy Spirit big zeros this was the second year in a row that that had happened and I gotta tell you I was absolutely broken this isn't the way church should operate so my wife and I began the year praying and fasting but about six days into the new year of 2018 she had to go have foot surgery and being in this little town we had to drive about 45 minutes north to come to a decent hospital where she was going to have the surgery so we were there I knew she was going to be under for about three hours and so I dropped my computer and I was just going to do some work and just praying, God, we got. what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Help me. Because we had done all the things they tell you you're supposed to do to grow a church. And it didn't. And so we're just desperate. I want to see people come to you. I want to see them transformed. I want to see them changed. And in the middle of that, a friend of mine from the district office calls just to see how I'm doing. And I told him what's going on, where we were at. We were in Eau Claire, Wisconsin. He goes, I'm going to be coming through there in about a half hour. You want to get together and have coffee? Sure, let's get together and have coffee. And so, at the table, I told him the same story I just told you. And he says to me, have you ever heard of this thing called dinner church? And I said, no, but it has two of my favorite words together. (laughs) Um, So, he begins to tell me what little bit he knows about it and it sounded intriguing so I went online found the books that we use read them and I'm like click this is I think this is God for us gave the book to my wife she read it she thought it was also took those bought more of those books gave them to my board we were praying about it we were talking about it and after a couple months we decided yeah we think this is what God has for us. Meanwhile, we're gathering a team together that are like-minded and want to do this together, and we decide, yeah, we're going to do it. Got some additional training, and so in February of 2019, we launched our first dinner church. Now, in our training, we were told that this really hasn't been tried out in a rural area. It's obviously great for cities. It's can be done in the suburbs but nobody had tried it in the rurals so we were kind of the guinea pig and they said to us if you have 20 attending regularly after a year you should consider it a success okay I don't know nothing from nothing and so we open our church now we did ours bi-weekly open ours up first night we had 26 and we're like cool so we decide the next week to cook for maybe 30 we had 35 we had enough so we decided okay we'll cook for 40 the next one had 55 people now ours was we held ours at a neutral location because that better fit our context and it was a good thing it was only a half mile from the church because we are running back and forth getting stuff from the pantry trying to keep on being able to have food to serve. Next time we had 65. And by the time COVID hit in March of 2020, we were doing 175 people wow. for dinner. That's it is. In our, in our area, now we counted our ministry area as our school district because it's three little villages got together. So we had 1,200 people total. We've got 175, or 125, it said 70, I meant 125, coming to dinner, and I went and told my church, we're a mega church. <laughs> How many people are reaching 10% of their ministry population? I'll guarantee you Rick Warren isn't doing it. Andy Stanley isn't doing it. We're a megachurch. And we did the same thing. We laughed and we pressed on. COVID hits, everything is shut down. My team comes to me and says, "We want to do something special during this time when people are in need. We want to do it every week, and we want to do it for delivery and carry out." And I'm like, "Are you guys sure you're the ones having to do this?" "Yep, we feel God's told us this. Okay." So we start doing delivery and carry out, and by the time the, the COVID uh, lifts or the COVID restrictions had been lifted, we were doing 230 people every week. It works. It absolutely works. Now, what goes on at a dinner church? You'll come into the room. Now, now this was our church, our dinner church, back in Alma Center. We met in the VFW. When you come in, you're going to be greeted and friendly greeting. And you're you're going to be directed to the buffet. You're going to have a big, beautiful buffet set up it represents the abundant grace of God. Okay? So you're going to walk in. First thing you're going to get is your dinnerware. Then there's going to be a huge salad that, you know, you can, you can take as much of as you want. Well, all the food you can take as much of as you want. But you get your salad. The next is going to be an entree or two that you can select from. Then you're going to have a vegetable selection. Always have to have good bread. I don't care if the food is Chef R D, but you've got to have good bread that goes along with it. So you'll get your bread, you've got dessert options, you have your drink options, and then you'll go sit down and you're sitting with other people enjoying your meal. About a half hour into it, the pastor will stand up, ask everybody to please be quiet, continue eating, but please be quiet, and the pastor is going to share a Jesus story. Eight to twelve minutes long, something directly from the Gospels or something directly about Jesus. You know, say Isaiah 53 for example. Eight to twelve minutes. People are still eating. The pastor is going to get done, going to pray for a prayer of blessing over the con- over the congregation, over the uh, the folks, and sit down. But this is where the real ministry actually begins, because. Now, the staff, the team, who has been serving up to this point are now going to take their meals and sit down and eat with the folks that came. And we're going to start making friends, building relationships, and talking about Jesus, directing the conversation in a spiritual direction. Why don't you think about what pastor had to say? How does that apply to you? What kind of changes do you need to make in your life in order to comply with the Word of God? We pray for people right at the tables. Like, say, for example, you and I are sitting at a table, and you tell me you have a need. Physical, emotional, financial, whatever. We're just going to pray right there. You and I, not going to be standing up, you know, waving their hands or anything like that, just you and I, quiet prayer. Other people at the table may not even know what we're doing. We saw miracles of healing, saw miracles of restoration happen around those prayers. People that would not engage suddenly are engaging. But here's the thing about dinner church. Dinner church is what we call slow cooker church. Because we're never going to stand up, okay, now everybody wants to come to Jesus, stand up, walk forward, fill out this card, anything like that. It's just going to be slow. It's going to be natural. It's going to be organic. Dinner church is a judgment-free zone because the folks that are probably coming to the dinner church have had bad experiences with traditional church. Now remember I said, these are the lonely, the isolated, the poor, etc. They may have been judged at a traditional church. They may feel that they're not worthy to come into a traditional church. You know the guy always says, if I ever walk into church, lightning will hit the steeple. You know, those guys. The dinner church attracts the people who Jesus told us to go to. The poor the hurting, the isolated. Remember the parable of the king who was having the wedding feast and the, the worthy ones that would refuse to come? And so what's the king say to his servants? Go out and bring in everybody. Go digging around underneath hedges. Go into ditches. Go wherever people are and bring them in. That's what the dinner church does. So, it lasts about an hour and a half, well at least ours did, we started at 5 o'clock and went until 6.30. And those times around the tables were the best times of the entire thing. There's always worship music playing, preferably it would be by a live team, if you don't have that. You know, you can use, I, I would plug in Spotify into the sound system, plug my phone in, and we would have worship music playing. CDs, whatever it takes. But worship sets the atmosphere. You know that worship is warfare. And we are doing spiritual warfare when we're talking to, or ministering to, the folks that will come to a dinner church. So there's always worship going. Some dinner churches will have an artist... For example, over here painting a picture. Something out of the Gospels. And so people will engage with the artist. Well, what's that mean? What's that mean? Why is that worm coming out of the apple? You know, or something like that. Another way to present the Gospel. We didn't do that because, because the folks where I live, their artistic taste tended toward dogs playing cards on black velvet. So <laughs> we didn't do that that much. But it's anything to, to continue... To bring in the gospel. Lasts for about an hour and a half. We did ours every other week. Ideally, it should be every week. And I'll tell you why. It's a church. Dinner church is a church, it's not an outreach, it's not a, we're going to do it once a month. It is a church. It does everything that a church does. You've got the teaching of the word. You've got discipleship. We do communion. Um, If people want to be baptized, we'll baptize them. Um, we, We will teach about missions. We'll teach about finances. Everything that makes a church a church is a dinner church. Oops. Ooh, who's that? (laughs) I want to emphasize that. It is a church. It just doesn't look like what we normally think of as a church. It is. It's not Junior Varsity Church or anything like this. This is church. It is reaching the people that a traditional church won't reach. These folks that are coming to dinner church will probably never go to a Sunday morning service. I'll give you an example. In my town, we had a convenience store slash gas station, a post office, a bank, two bars, and a veterinarian. Okay, That was our community. That convenience store... You know, they they did breakfast sandwiches and hamburgers through the day. You know what I'm talking about. So every Sunday morning, I would stop by there early, get a breakfast sandwich or something to drink, and then go to the church to, you know, to get started. And there were always four guys sitting there. I call them the four cranks. These were four old retired farmers, and they would sit there every Sunday morning and they would grouse about the Packers or the Brewers or, or the Badgers or farm prices or whatever. They're the same guys that are in every McDonald's on Monday mornings around the country. <laughs> Just grumpy. And I would invite those guys to come to church. Never. Never. These are guys that. They had just enough of Jesus to be inoculated to him. In other words, they grew up in a Methodist or a Lutheran church usually, got confirmed, and that was it. Go to church during weddings and funerals. These guys would never come to our church. We opened up a dinner church. Second time, they were there. They were in community, they were laughing, they were talking, and they heard about Jesus every single time. Now, I wish I could tell you that they fell to their knees and repented. I can't tell you that. But they heard about Jesus, which is our job, by the way. Our job is not to get people saved. Our job is to tell them about Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit's job to bring them to Christ. So we're just faithful, telling the word all the time. Now what are the advantages of a dinner church? Holy cow. They're biblical. I've said that. They, we meet unsaved people there, which we don't typically meet on a Sunday morning. Unsaved people are coming. Now I've already talked about the problem we have This is we don't know how to talk to them. Everybody knows how to sit and eat. Everybody has to do it three times a day. Some of us more, unfortunately. So the the advantage is there. We say we feed body, soul, and spirit. The body, obviously, with the food. The spirit, obviously, with Jesus. But that soul... We're meeting people where they need to be met, where they're lonely and isolated and hurting. They can come to a place where they can have community, where they can begin to, ex- to express what they're going through and find healing and transformation. Body, soul, and spirit. nice thing about a dinner church is it's inexpensive. We're a typical church plant today. And I'm not putting down church plants. We need them. <laughs> <laughs> but Pastor Al how much, is it, how much does it take to launch a, to plant, launch a uh, traditional church a in this room. It, I mean a typical traditional church you've got to raise at least one hundred to $200,000 wow. 100000 to $200,000 <laughs> dinner, a dinner church yes. we started ours and we began with 1500 and that was just to buy some additional cooking utensils that we needed and just to get set up for it. We didn't have to pay rent, and some would, but we didn't have to because the VFW liked what we were doing, and I was a member of the VFW, so they said, hey, we love this, we'll give you the room for free. $1,500 to $2,000 versus $100 to $200,000. Yeah, a little bit of a difference. Now, that's not to say that's wrong, it's not, but... You can do 10 of dinner churches at the, at the expense of uh, one church plant, traditional church plant. Those are the advantages. Now, only got a few minutes here. I like to open it up for questions or discussion.